Thank you very much, Gina. That was really great, wasn't it? Yeah, really good to catch up with what's what's happening here. And uh, I just love the the whole story. Um, um, Judy, my wife and I and boys, we've been involved in planting uh, 25 Adventist churches in our ministry. And uh, to come into a church plant, you kind of feel the dynamic, the life, um, the vision, and uh, really great to see um, what is happening here in the CBD. Thank you so much, Jenna. I really enjoyed that very, very much. And uh, now I've been asked to share just a little workshop on if you can eat, you can make disciples. Um, do you enjoy eating? Yeah. Um, and, and I want to say right at the beginning, this is not built around the idea that you have to cook up a great meal and invite people to your home. In fact, it's just the opposite to that. You don't have to cook any food at all. Uh, the idea is that you go and eat the food that belongs to other people. Um, and so you engage with people, and the more evangelism you get involved in, um, the better it is for your own budget, um, because you won't spend any money at all. Um, this book came out of an ongoing journey. Uh, first of all, after many years reflecting on it, I wrote uh, Following Jesus, uh, which walks through the story of Jesus in sequence, looking at how Jesus uh, developed a disciple-making movement. And we've had our attention focused by Ministry of Healing 143, we've had our attention focused for decades upon the fact that the method of Jesus is the only method that is really effective. And that's because Jesus came into this world to make disciples for his Father's kingdom. Church is, church is not a business. Church is not a corporation. Uh, church is not uh, a government organisation. Uh, it is just totally opposite to that. Um, and we, we need to look at what Jesus said about kingdom, what Jesus said about church, and how Jesus actually modelled disciple-making, trained disciples to make disciples, and then commissioned us to make disciples as well. So following Jesus is a long journey through the Gospels, looking at the stories of Jesus in sequence, seeing how he made individual disciples, and also how he developed a disciple-making movement. Then after completing that, I started on the next book, on the book of Acts, which is following the Spirit. And that's looking at disciple-making, uh, church planting, movement building in the life of the early believers as they took up the methods of Jesus. So in the book of Acts, you have a whole movement of people who followed, uh, you know, just followed systematically and carefully the methods of Jesus. Uh, and it's really very, very interesting to look at the methods that Jesus used and then how those early apostles just committed themselves to following uh, his approach, his example. In fact, when you look at someone like the Apostle Paul, Saul to start with, then the Apostle Paul, um, he, he modelled his life on the life of Jesus. So there are many aspects of 
the life of Jesus and the life of Paul that run in parallel when you come into the book of Acts. It's really quite astounding to see the close parallel between these, these two. And, and of course, it was Paul who said to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Jesus. And he was talking about not only his life, but when you look at the context, he's also talking about his method, his method of engaging with people and making disciples. We haven't got anything else coming up there on the screen, have we? No. I'll just... Um, okay, yeah. Um, and so we worked through the story of the book of Acts. Interestingly, in ministry, and if you look at the movement of Christianity um, in the last decades in Australia, um, Christians became interested and Adventists became interested in church growth back in the, in the 1970s. It was imported from America. It wasn't the original church growth of the original father of church growth, but it was brought into, into Adventism in the early 1970s. But the focus was very much upon a, a technocratic approach to growing churches. And then by the 1980s and the early 90s, we're going back into the book of Acts. And then following that, some of us said, both within Adventism and also in the wider circle, hey, shouldn't we be looking at the Gospels and seeing how Jesus actually uh, created this movement and what he meant by church as well? So the sequence of um, Adventism and the Christian church in Australia has to be go, go backwards into the life of Jesus. Now we're going forwards, following Jesus, following the Spirit, and after writing Following the Spirit, I thought we really need a little book that sort of sums up the, the essential idea of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus was equipping leadership for his movement. He had chosen the 12 apostles out of the great crowd of disciples that he had. This was two years into his ministry. Sometimes you get the impression, as you read, especially the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus called the 12 at the beginning and preached the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of his ministry, but it was two years into his ministry. That's another, another story. And uh, then about six months before he died, he gave the same training that he gave to the 12. And not only did he have male apostles, but he also had female apostles who were traveling with him as well. And he's giving them the same training. But in Luke chapter 10, he expanded his team and he equipped another 70 or 72, depending upon which translation you use, um, with the same leadership concepts of disciple making as he'd given to the 12 and if you can eat actually grows out of that training we've had some interesting technological issues today haven't we let's see if we can correct this right let's see Okay, so following Jesus was the beginning of this explanation of the journey of Jesus. And some of you, the journey of Jesus disciple making, and some of you were with us at Lilydale. Was that two years ago, Lilydale, for the Science Weekend, when following um, Jesus was launched? And the first book that I gave away was to my neighbour, Sean. Sean is a Buddhist. 
and he was with us there at um, Lilydale on that day. Um, my wife and I spent a lot of time with our neighbours and they knew that I was writing. I told them about that. And so they were keen to come, even though it was on the opposite side of the city because my wife and I live over in the western side at Caroline Springs. But Sean and Gashani, his wife, are, are really appreciative of the journey that we're on in talking about Jesus, in reading the scriptures. We were with them until about 9.30 last night. We spend time with them every, every week. Um, in dialogue with them, eating with them, sharing food and that type of thing in their home and praying with them. Uh, that's part of the journey. Uh, then came following the Spirit and now is if you can eat, you can make disciples. Now, as I've said, this is based on the story of Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 24 where Jesus is giving the training to the 70 or 72. We're not going to look at all these verses, but I would like you to um, just look at Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 9. Um, we did look at this in a very brief workshop two years ago at the Science Weekend, but we've got different people here, and uh, I'll just include this as a, a short feature of this afternoon. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read the story once, then I want you to turn to the person beside you, take your Discovery, book, uh, Discovery Bible reading bookmark, and one person read it to the other one, one tell the story, you know, the are you learning Discovery Bible Reading? Some of you have told me you've been using it with neighbours, with friends, with family, um, in your offices, etc. Um, so I'm going to read just the first nine verses. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Does your translation say 70 or 72? 72? Anyone have one that says 70? Yeah? So if you have a translation that says 70... And others have one that says 72. If it says 70, it means it's an older translation with more recent manuscripts. If it says 72, it's a newer translation, but much, much older manuscripts, right? And sometimes the footnotes in your Bible uh, will let you know that that's what take, is taking place. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I'm going to make a couple of comments as we go very quickly. You notice the first thing the Lord does in equipping disciple makers is say, work in teams. You don't have to do this on your own, right? Now, sometimes a team can be a family, like my wife and myself, we're a team. And we do, this, we do this together. But it might be friends. The best place to start forming teams within the Adventist church is to start with a Sabbath school group. Restructure your Sabbath school group so it's not too big, all coming from the same part of the city or the same part of a suburb or the same part of a town so that you're sitting together with people who come from the same place. Then you can take it back and do discovery Bible reading with your neighbours. You can do kids' programs for your neighbours. You can do women's ministry in the area that you come from, uh, except branch Sabbath schools for those of you who do branch Sabbath schools. So your team, your team is a natural team that connects with the community. But otherwise... Always keep in mind two by two, two or three. You remember Jesus used this term a lot, two, three, when he spoke about church and he only used the term church on th three times and only on two occasions. In Matthew chapter 18, he spoke of the basic unit of church as being two or three gathered in his name. 
It's not the single individual. The basic unit of church is the two or three. And when we go making disciples, it's the two or three. Because you see, in doing this, we are the body of Jesus. We are to reflect God. And God is not just a single individual. As we said this morning, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's community. And so as we go to witness, we're to represent God. It's a theological kind of term. And then when we start gathering, because church is a gathering of disciples, then the same, you have this reflection of what God is, of what God is like. Then you'll notice he says, you know, you, you go two by two, you think about the place where you're going to go, and it's going to be a place where Jesus is going to go. Just think about that. In verse 16, he said, if the people receive you, they receive me. If they listen to you, they listen, they're listening to me. We are God's representatives. When we're sitting in that home last night, when we have the neighbor come and we pray with the neighbor, when we visit with Muslims, Buddhists, Sikhs, Hindus, atheists and we spend time with them we are the presence of God for them we bring the kingdom of God that's the privilege that we have and yet sometimes in the way in which we've structured church that becomes the role of a professional and and of course then we all miss on the privilege of engaging with people in this way um, also I want you to notice Jesus has different eyes to us right we look at a city in the CBD of Melbourne we think tough place Jesus looks and says, you better start praying for more harvesters because there's a lot of people here who want to follow me, right? We don't see that. We don't see that in the suburbs. We don't see it in the villages, in the towns. But Jesus says, pray. But he doesn't say pray for protection against the dogs and pray that you might have the right things to say. He says pray for more harvesters because there's a much bigger harvest awaiting in the CB of Melbourne. There's a much bigger harvest waiting in Melbourne than you could possibly imagine. So open your eyes and pray. That's what he's saying there. Then he says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So he doesn't pro promise it's all going to be smooth sailing. There's going to be some challenges. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be those who want to eat you up. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace or shalom to this house. If a person of peace, a person of shalom is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Now you notice Jesus says, here's the greeting. Now that's the greeting they use in Israel still today. It's not the greeting that we'd use in Melbourne. You imagine walking around Melbourne and saying, Shalom. Um, and nor is it Shalom Shabbat. Shalom Shabbat does not mean happy Sabbath. That's one of my beefs. It does not mean happy Sabbath, right? Shalom Shabbat means may God's grace and care and blessing be upon you even if you're not having a happy day, right? So we need to really get away from the jargon that we sometimes parrot around. That term Happy Sabbath has only been within Adventism in the last 20 years. Before that, you never heard it. We know exactly where it came from, but it's not a term that is anything more than empty jargon. It certainly is not Shabbat Shalom, right? But here Jesus is saying, in our culture, we say Shabbat, which means, say Shalom, which means peace be upon you. And if that peace comes back, now, in, in the different cultures we have in this room, whether it's Fiji Bulla or whether it's just, g'day, how are you going? Or what's life like? Or how are things today? Whatever term you use, how does that return? Does the person receive you? Does the person welcome you? Is the person open to you? 
If a person has peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it returns to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, that's not saying anything against Cole Porter work or literature ministry. It's not saying anything against that. But it's saying that when you're looking for the key person who can multiply disciples in a place, when you find that key disciple maker, you stop. You don't keep moving around. You stop and you spend time with that key person. You don't just keep running on. This was probably a failure of mine in the early years of ministry when I knocked on every door in Wellington in central New South Wales. I knocked on every door personally in Condobla. I knocked on every door in parks. And, and I was so busy knocking on doors that I hardly saw the key person. Right? And Jesus is saying, no, when you find that key person, stop. You don't have to go any further. He only needed to find one person in Samaria, the woman at the well, and everybody was brought to him. He only needed to find one person on the eastern shore of Lake Galilee, the demon-possessed man. And the next time Jesus came back, that one man brought 4,000 men plus women and children. That one man, right? So we can learn from Jesus on this. When you enter a town... And are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. Okay, it's time to turn to each other, because otherwise you're going to go to sleep, and some of you said you're going to struggle to keep us awake, right? So you turn to each other now, you take your Bibles, and one of you will read that story, verses 1 to 9, Luke chapter 10, 1 to 9, to the other one, and then the other one, or the other, one of the three, if you're in two, one of them will tell the story back to you without looking. Not allowed to look. You've got to tell the story back without looking, right? I've read it once. Okay, if you were smart, you would start reading instantly. Then it's the other guy who has to tell the story, right? Get going. Okay, could I have your attention? I don't like interrupting you because I think you're having fun. Uh, how many people in your group actually shared something, an idea, a question, made a comment? How many people in your group? Everyone or did some just sit listening? Everybody engaged? Yes. Uh, and that's really important, an important part of Discovery Bible Reading. Um, if I um, just talk or lecture or preach, um, you're not going to remember too much of what has been said. In fact, most you will not remember by the time the worship service is finished or by the time the Bible study is finished. Um, and it's very difficult to know whether, uh, on behalf of the preacher, as to whether anybody's really listening. And, uh, of course, on behalf of the listener you're not totally sure what the preacher is saying often anyhow. Uh, so it can be a challenge. But once you're engaging in the word of God, you're discussing and sharing together. And this is something that anybody can be involved in. I thought you may like to just see this short video of how Discovery Bible Reading is being used um, on the Central Coast and in many of our schools, many Adventist schools My name's Leighton. and other Christian schools as well. I arrived here at Central Coast just over a year ago. My background is pastoral work, local church. Even though my role here is chaplaincy, I'm also a member of...
My name's Leighton. I arrived here at Central Coast just over a year ago. My background is pastoral work, local church. Even though my role here is chaplaincy, I'm also a member of Haven Campus Church and our intentional vision is to create a church unchurched people love. Five years ago, all my Bible studies were based in decades old content. I was going through a difficult period as a pastor of feeling basically spiritually impotent, like there's nothing I can do to introduce people to Jesus. And about five years ago, I met Peter Roenfeldt, and he introduced to us Discovery Bible Reading. And it just transformed, I just couldn't believe it. It transformed my perspective on how you could mentor people in Christianity. One of our students came to school in year seven and got to the end of year 12 and decided, I'm actually gonna respond to that invitation to read the Bible in community. Hey, I'm James. In April of 2017, the school was running their woes program. At the end of the week, they sent out like a little survey and there was a few boxes you could check and one of them was saying that you could do Bible studies. We started a Bible study off in the Gospel of Mark going through the discovery Bible reading process. It was really good in the way that it sort of just led you to your own discoveries and let you apply that to your own life. It was a sort of self-discovery. Getting baptised was just sort of seemed like the uh, logical thing to do. Uh, just felt like it was right, making sort of an official statement that I want to live for Jesus. As year 12 ended, I decided I wanted to apply for the chaplaincy assistant position at the school. Now this year, I'm introducing students to Jesus through the Discovery Bible Reading Method. I feel like the more time goes by and the more I'm doing these studies with students and journeying with them, we're going somewhere together. We're getting somewhere. God's doing some good stuff here. Remember, these disciples were going to go into Samaria. Uh, they were going to go into Judea. And they're also going to go into Perea, a land of paganism. So they were not just going to be in a comfortable environment of their own culture and Judaism where the food was all kosher and, um, and the people would be listening to the same music and dancing to the same songs and talking from the same scriptures. They're going to be in totally different uh, places. And, and Jesus gave three simple steps of connecting. He said, if you, if you find that people are open, and not everybody's going to be open, but if people are open to you, then he says, you will eat their food. Now, when you look at the second step, it gives you further insight as to what would be taking place while you're eating. Eat their food. Um, and then the next step is heal them. Now, if you're going to heal people, you need to know what the issues are, what the challenges are. Um, so that means spending time. So we have concluded that eat their food really means listen to their story. Um, spend time listening to their story. Now, every day we eat with people. Some of them might be family members. 
Perhaps some of them are people who don't follow Jesus very carefully. Some of them may not know very much about Jesus at all. We're going to have morning tea, afternoon tea, lunch, break with people in our office, in the workplace. And uh, Jesus is saying, be ready to heal them. So that means eat. And if you have the opportunity to eat their food, then you come even closer to their culture because food is part of culture. That's where you really start climbing into people's lives and culture. Food, language, um, family relationships is where culture happens. So eat their food, listen to their story. Um, So, you know, we're working in the garden or we're walking the path near home and we meet somebody that we've seen in the neighbourhood. Hi, how are you going? How's life treating you? And you chat for a few moments. Hey, we ought to catch up some more. We should have coffee together sometime. Now, of course, when you use that term in an Australian environment, when you say coffee, you don't necessarily mean coffee, although you might. Um, But you don't necessarily mean coffee, right? So, for example, I meet a neighbour. I'm driving out. I've just said hello to him a time or two. I know his name. He's just built a new house. and, uh, And I stop in the middle of the road and I call out, How's it going? Calling him by his name. And he moves over towards the end of the road and he says, not too good. So what's the problem with business, with family life, personal? Personal, he said. Hey, I said, we better catch up for coffee. And he immediately responds, yes, I'd like to do that. Okay, which cafe shall we meet at? We have 35 cafes within four minutes walk of our, of our front door, right? <laughs> so there's plenty to choose from. Uh, so where shall we meet? And then as we walk in, he says, my shout. So I'm automatically eating his food, right? It's his shout. And then he says, what would you like? Now I say, let's catch up for coffee. If I'd said, why don't we catch up for a drink of water sometime? He'd think that was crazy, right? But you say, let's catch up for coffee. Use the culture that that you're in. And then he says, what would you like? Now, it might be chai, it might be mineral water, it might be coffee. But you have the choice Uh, that you can make at that particular time right but you're engaging and it's and it's not an issue of how much food you eat in fact probably the the less the better Jesus didn't say eat your neighbors out of house and home he didn't say eat everything they put on the table right so you might choose just a little something and just as you put that food towards your mouth you say how's it going what's happening in your family and then you put in your mouth and shut shut your mouth and not say anything else (laughs) Right, and you just listen, right? Because it won't be too long before people start sharing what their issues are, and of course we're all we've got so many books to give away, we've got so many videos to get, or uh, you know DVs or or websites to link people to, etc. And we're so busy, we want to do everything by proxy. But you cannot do disciple making by remote. You cannot do it by remote. You might be able to connect with people through social media, etc. but those who have been using social media for the longest amongst Adventists are in the northern countries of Europe. And they will always tell you, it does not work unless you can sit and have coffee with the person. It still comes back to that personal relationship that you must connect with, right? So here is Jesus' method. Eat. Eat their food. 
Um, you don't have to choose to eat something that you wouldn't eat. If you're celiac or if you're gluten intolerance, you don't eat something that's going to hurt you or kill you. Um, you choose from the table what is available, just a little, and you inquire as to how they are. And, and then you hear family, um, uh, friends, their own journey, their brokenness, and then healing, heal their sickness. Right Now, that will also involve sharing a little of your story. Um, not too much because it's not time to preach. There's no time for preaching. Uh, it's a time to engage with people. So what are the issues? Do they need some professional help that you cannot give? Don't give professional help if that's not your area. Do they need some counsel? Do they need some medication? Do they need some help? Would simply following the simple process of New Start help them? You know? Good nutrition, plenty of exercise, fresh water, sunlight, temperance and balance, fresh air, some good rest and trust in God. So that simple acronym is really useful to have as sort of background information in your brain because a lot of people don't have that practical insight into life. They just don't have any idea as to how to cope or how to struggle. And some people in our society are very, very lonely. Um, their marriage comes apart, there's, um, there's no one to turn to, they, they have broken relationships with their brothers, their sisters, their parents live in another place, if another country, maybe they've died, they, they have no connection. Just this week, Judy and I have met a lady who has literally not a single relative that she can call on, not a single person and not a single friend. So it's not surprising that she tells us she's thinking about suicide. It's not surprising at all because she's in a hard place. Where does she go, right? So we listen. We, we can provide that practical instruction and help and encouragement. Tell a little of your story. Hey, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and uh, we had family worship each morning and evening. We prayed. But there was no money, and so I left home when I was 15 to get a job. When I was 16, I had to decide, am I going to follow this God of my childhood or not? And I made that decision. And I can tell you, God is with us. He's not like Father Christmas. He doesn't solve all of our problems with gifts, and, and it's not that easy. But he walks with us through the deepest, darkest valleys, right? And what are you doing? In telling that brief story of just a few sentences, you're bridging into your faith in God. And the person often will say, oh, you know, I, I do pray. I'm, I'm a Catholic. Well, that's okay. I can add my prayers to your Catholic prayers. God hears all prayers. Uh, or, no, I haven't prayed for a long time. Or, no, I don't believe in that stuff. Well, that's okay. But the God that you don't believe in still cares about you. Um, and so we can relate in a practical way as we move to sharing the kingdom of God is here now. And the, the statement of Jesus is the kingdom of God is near to you now, right? Now, where is the kingdom of God? Within you, yeah. What do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So the kingdom of God is within you. And as close as you get to a person, now right as jesus says in verse 16 if they receive you and hear you they receive me and hear me so that's the privileged position that we're actually in what condescension on the part of god to involve us 
sinners who he has saved in the journey of disciple making, the journey that Jesus came into this world to be involved in. So these are the three simple steps. Eat their food, and that's fun. You get all kinds of food. I mean, um, and, and, if you, and if you're really involved and you connect to people, you'll soon find you don't have to eat at home. Um, because there's always invitations to come for a drink, to come for food, and, uh, and so you've got to manage your time, so you put some boundaries around your time, otherwise you won't have any private time, especially in our multi-faith, multicultural type of world that we live in. But you don't have to travel to a foreign land to experience culture. You just walk next door, and you've got all this culture um, and, and you're engaging with people of such different worldviews and such different backgrounds. And this simple process of eat their food, listen, bring some healing, share a little of your story. I mean, no more than just a couple of minutes. Introduce God's story. And then as you pray for people, make sure you use language that is not full of jargon. God, um, I'm needing to talk with you about Jane or Mary or Keila or whoever you're talking about and um, we know that you're interested you are the living creator God and we want you to care for meet this particular need keep short uh, keep focused I usually pray with my eyes open Uh, closing your eyes is simply cultural keep your eyes open and then you can see the person usually they will have their eyes open if they're not used to praying and and then you can see the person and you can see the activity of the spirit of god in their hearts and in their lives um we share with our our neighbors um this approach these are muslim neighbors um we have, as I've said, a whole variety of worldviews around us. Uh, Discovery Bible reading is a great way to move on from that. Would you like to know more about God? Would you like to know more about Jesus? Uh, there's a little book. It's only 20 pages long. It was written in the time of Jesus or just after the time of Jesus by a fellow who was probably about five or six-year-old boy when he saw Jesus crucified. He may have seen Jesus crucified, and he wrote this story. It's only 20 pages long, and we could read from beginning to end. It's right from that time 2,000 years ago. Very easy to read. You download it on your phone. We could buy it from a bookshop, and we could read that through. One story at a time. I think you'd enjoy that. And then you'd know who this person, Jesus, really is. This is being used in Tennant Creek. This idea is being used in church planting around the world. Uh, was very much central to this church plant in, um, in Mostar, in Bosnia-Herzegovina, where a couple and one young man set about to engage with people across Mostar. They invited Judy and myself to go there for a short time. And um, this was just a couple of years ago. And this couple, um, in whose home we are, this couple, um, they, with this young man, brought 75 of their friends to read through the scripture. And uh, after just three weeks with them, it's a little bit like the Apostle Paul, a new new church was started, you know. Um, And Discovery Bible Reading is right at the heart of that. It's used in... Church planting in Port Moresby, some really exciting stuff all around the Pacific is being used. Sabbath school classes, you may recognise some of your friends if you're from Madang. Um, And then in Nepal, 
I've been back to Nepal a couple of times in the last couple of years because the country of Nepal, although secular, is coming under a lot of pressure to become a Hindu kingdom. It is Hindu, but the government is secular. The president of India is putting pressure on them to become a Hindu kingdom, making it very difficult. And so although it's not illegal to go to churches, the local police are making it extremely difficult to go to churches. So I went to Pokhara and uh, spent a week training and uh, 18 new churches started on the next Sabbath uh, in gardens, um, in homes uh, around the city of Pokhara. Everything that would happen in church, in any uh, established, organised church, happens in these small groups. Bible reading, prayer, tithes, offerings, Lord's Supper, dedication of children happens in these places. So it's real church. It's not something that is going to move to being real church when they have a building. Um, In Kempsey, just three Sabbaths ago, two new churches started, uh, connected to the Well program on Friday night at the school. And these two new churches are there with the blessing of the pastor and the church, the chaplain and the school. Two new churches started using Discovery Bible Reading out in uh, environments where people feel more relaxed. They have singing, they have prayer, they have offerings, they have scripture reading. They use Discovery Bible Reading for their, for their study. And also at Life Switch Community Church in Ipswich, they're using the pastors on the left-hand side. They're using Discovery Bible Reading for the process of opening up the Scriptures. People need to learn who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Did he live before or after World War I? Um, is, is he still alive? Where is he? Um, people have no idea who Jesus might be or where Jesus might be, who he is, where he might be, how to engage with him. And so going back and reading through Gospel of Mark from beginning to end, and people can do this on their own. You don't have to be with them. They can do it on their own. Once they get started, they just keep keep reading. And then you can pop in and spend some more time. With, Where are you up to now? Oh, we're up to chapter 5. Okay, we're only up to chapter 2 last week when we came and had coffee together. Where are you up to? Shall we keep going, right? And so it's an opportunity of people getting to know, getting to know Jesus. I think you might enjoy this story. Is, is different, um, different cultures, different people, but the basic principles that Jesus outlined uh, relate to every culture and every place. Um, and we can take those principles and you can see it's built around listening to people, healing people and introducing God. Um, it's a very simple process and if you look at the practical things that you'll be doing, eating and listening, uh, healing, sharing. We, we often say your testimony, but uh, keep it to your story. Very, very simple. But the reason for including your testimony is basically to say you can trust God, right? You may not believe in God, but you can trust God. Uh, I have learnt that I can trust him and you can trust him too. And I've learnt that... Um, Although people are very, very suspicious of church and uh, they're very reticent, as Jinho was saying earlier, very reticent about the idea of coming to a church, um, there is an openness to God. There is an openness to uh, what Jesus is like. And, uh, but we have to strip away all the stuff that we put around him 
so that people can actually meet him as the person that he is. Um, one country that Judy and I have had the opportunity of visiting a number of times is Iran. And, uh, of course, um, contrary to what you hear in the media, Iran is a country of very, very beautiful and hospitable people, very warm, welcoming people who are very open and uh, want to engage. And uh, we were in this small town of Namor, Desert City. We went there to um, visit the underground looms where they make clothing out of uh, camel hair. Um, it's underneath the ground because uh, up until April, it can, there can be a metre and a half of snow on the desert, but once you get to the middle of April, it can be 45, 50 degrees. So under the ground is a great place to be. And uh, I even modelled this garment, uh, not the best model. And then after visiting some of these looms, we had a few moments because the driver wanted to do some uh, work on his small bus that we we're travelling around in. And so some of us climbed to a high hill to get a picture of the desert and some of the farm in the desert around that, around that city of Naim. And one lady, she felt that the hill was too high for her, so she said she'd wait back on the street. When, she, when we came back, she wasn't around, but it didn't really concern us because very safe places. And next thing, a door flew open, and this lady's signalling to us to come into her home. And so we were welcomed in where our, uh, one of our party was already seated, and the lady of the home was busy putting some biscuits together, some cake and some tea. And she signalled that she would like us to be there. Our translator was with us. Um, she's seated on, towards closest to you on the right-hand side, or no, second person in on the right-hand side. And the lady of the home is the lady who's gesticulating and moving her arms around and uh, is covered there. And uh, you can see even our ladies are dressed appropriately for the, for the culture. And we're sitting on the Persian rugs. And uh, as she gave us the tea and the biscuits, I simply said to her through the translator, tell us, mother, tell us about your family and tell us about your life. At that point, we didn't need to talk anymore. We heard the whole story, a story of sadness and brokenness, and uh, at the end of her story, we said to her, you know, we want you to know that Allah really cares about you. He loves you. God loves you deeply. And, uh, and you know, we can talk to him and we can ask him to help bring some healing to your brokenness, to help encourage your heart so that you can know that God is here and he really cares about you. And so in a third-person kind of way, we spoke to God. We said, God, we know that you're listening. We know that you're hearing, hearing our mother's concern and you've heard the whole story and we know that you can be very close to her by your spirit and you'll be very close to her in saving her uh, from this situation. And as we walked out, our um, translator, she was walking beside me and she said, God was in that home and it's true. God was there because we had taken the presence of God into that home. We didn't need to, um, we didn't need to do more than Jesus would do. 
We sometimes think that we've got to dump everything that we know as Adventists upon everybody that we meet in case it's the last opportunity. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was very sensitive to where the people were. Do you notice that in the Gospels, not once did he say who he was? When he was asked who he was, he sidestepped the question. It wasn't until his trial before the Jews and then before the Romans when he was asked who he was that he plainly stated who he was. But he did not jump in and say everything because he knew that if people experienced him, they would know who he was. And it's true today. If we can help people experience him through our fellowship, through our presence and through the reading of the Gospels, if they can experience him, we do not need to be saying too much. You see... Bible studies as we've done it for decades, Bible studies as we've done them uh, are only presentations that the professional can do. The Bible study method that we've followed as a church for decades is only a method that a graduate from Avondale or PAU or Sonoma or Fulton University College, only they could do because they only have, they're the only ones who have the background to be, be able to give the kinds of Bible studies and to answer all the questions. But if you come to Discovery Bible Reading, where you're just letting the Word of God open up the story of Jesus, open up what God is like, and when people ask questions and you don't know the answer, you can simply say, let's keep reading, or I don't know, so let's keep reading. And I don't know is not a bad answer to give. Because people don't like to be with a know-it-all the whole time. And, and so it's really good, this process that anybody can do. Uh, so we meet young people, older people. Nathan is not an elder of a church. Nathan has never preached a sermon. Nathan has never given a Bible study. But now he leads a church underneath his house simply by reading the scripture singing some songs, having discussion, and he says, I don't know, let's keep reading. And so you keep reading, and now there's a church planted underneath his home, coached by the leading elder of the church, who also has a church in his garden. You saw him pictured there with the red tie. Um, so it's something that any of, any of us can do if we can eat. That's the starting point. If you can't eat, don't worry about it. But if you can eat, then you can get involved in making disciples. And I pray that you will take the opportunity. It is an opportunity that will totally transform your lives, totally transform your connection with your community and with your family. I say in Papua New Guinea and in the Pacific countries, why not encourage every single church member to choose a backslider and to start Discovery Bible Reading with a backslider? One per week. Every, every week you just start reading through the Gospel of Mark. I think it would make an enormous difference because in most places we have more backsliders than we have church members, right? So if every, every member chose a backslider, started this process there, right? And otherwise you can start with family, with friends, with community, with neighbours, but you start with eating and listening. And if the door doesn't open, you don't rush on. You wait until God opens the door. So God bless you all. Great to be able to share with you this afternoon. Thank you.